Good morning and welcome wherever you are. This is Tavo DRC of Tavo Creative Leadership and the DFW Leader Ministry Fellowship at onlinefellowship.us. I've been with ministers and around pastors and around believers and leaders, fivefold offices all my life. I grew up as a pastor's daughter, as firstborn, and then when I got out and grew up, went to college, I was always on fire for the Lord, and then I was invited and began to attend pastors and ministry gatherings, and therefore you get around it. When I was 24, the Lord spoke to me, sort of communicated with me in a church on the East Coast. He said, I want you to study my leaders, all the different kinds of Christians, what they believe, their red flag buzzwords, their pet peeves, and then their styles. And then one day when the time is right, I want you to build bridges between my body. So I want to say I didn't go to the foreign nations. The nations came to me, and then when the Lord would lead me, I would get to go in fellowship throughout the many decades, years. And that's how I learned a lot. Uh, I didn't, wasn't seen. A lot of people are in secret. They're just there uh, at the leading of the Lord, being a good dad, a good mom, whatever, being sent by the Lord like a Ezekiel's wheel, sent by the Holy Spirit, the inward witness, as my grandmother used to say, who taught the Bible. Also like uh, Enoch, the prophet Enoch in Genesis 5, Adam's grandson who walked and talked with God daily, hung out with God, and God said, do this, he did it. God said, do that, he did that, go there. That's all I've done. A lot of people wonder what in the world the Lord is going to do with this. I call it like Noah. Uh, You know, I don't know what that, to me, all I can think is Noah took 125 years to encourage people in ministry that it didn't just happen over day, overnight, but 125 years of that when he was building a land ark with no water nearby. Surely he was ridiculed. Surely he was mocked. Surely he was berated by people, maybe his wife, maybe the confused family that says, Noah, you're always spending money at Home Depot for that ark, and I don't see any reason you should be out there doing more, you know, other things. So we never know what God is going to do. Years ago, I had a pastor, mentor, Christian minister, and he said that God keeps, he told me one day, he said, God keeps his prophets in caves, and he brings them out when they're needed. So I guess a lot of people in this hiding place, the pit, like Joseph, the pit factor, prophet in training, all those things, vocabulary words you hear around, those are for the day that when you're needed, you'll be brought out. If not, you're going to keep on the the potter's wheel, and even if it takes most of your life, remember that Moses took 80 years, 40 years, and 40 years. Caleb took a long time, generation. He was 85, and then a lot of people, more than myself, are out there right now, just been servant leaders, unsung. My dad was very unsung. He was a not a famous pastor, but you know what? Even though he went on to be with the Lord in glory, even though he was born and raised in postage stamp Dallas, Georgia, ironically, his name is one of my main role models and heroes for being a minister on and off the stage because I saw Daddy, and he wasn't a prophet. He didn't speak in tongues. He wasn't charismatic or prophetic or anything. He just loved the life, and that's what impresses me strongly about anybody. So I choose to try to live the life, but I remember my Daddy, and here his name is, being sung... His glory, his, he reaped the reward later. 
when he didn't even know it by being talked about as a hero role model for a pastor, but also a person who knew God and a friend of his family and the Lord and many other people of diverse backgrounds. So that's all you want. The issue is one day you're born. Everybody's born. Everybody gets to have their own personal background in life and what's going to go on their choices. They get to choose to invite Jesus into their heart or not. They get to choose by themselves if they feel a call to ministry or not. They get to do all the things that they feel like they're supposed to do, get married or not, and go to college or not. And then one day when the time is right, they'll all, everybody will just lie down and die one by one and will stand before the throne. And on the very day that we go up there, we'll wake up and hopefully we'll be with Jesus, not the other place. And he'll go through our life and he'll say, you know what? This is what you didn't do. This is what you did for me. It will last. This is what you did behind the scenes, personally and in ministry. So I try to think that 24-7 and try to live that. And that's why I teach on relationship, Christian relationships in James 3.17. That any wisdom or any person who says they represent God and his wisdom have got to be, first of all, pure pure-hearted, peaceable, easily treated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the most of my ability, I try to be that way all the time, and then I know my dad was like that, and many other people I know right now. And I want to say thank you for all the great Christians that are there, the hero role models of moms and dads and older and younger the rising generation of new leaders. I just want to say thank you, and we honor. We always are supposed to honor our natural dads and moms, and I do honor them, and my grandparents, who were also Bible Bible believers and taught the Bible, men and women. And then I want to honor the spiritual fathers and mothers who pioneered all the different moves that have collectively built up what we call the Christian body of Christ, full of humans, not all perfect, not all without some error or faults, but we want to assess that we are so grateful for all the great fruit, and like, I think one of the founding fathers, I call him a founding father of the word of faith, Kenneth Hagen Jr., Kenneth Hagen Sr., said, pick out, he always said, pick out what is hay and throw out the stubble, and his teaching anybody else's, and I do that. It's like Apostle Paul who said he commended the noble Bereans who were Jews for taking apart his doctrine and seeing what really lined up with the Bible. Now, I'm not word of faith. I'm not a part. We're like Apostle, you know, in the Galatians 1, not sent out anybody, any one group or any one person. We have people that speak into our life, always have. My father's up in heaven. But the idea is that you know, we're, we're just trying to be impartial. We're trying to build bridges to the body and be cross-body servant leaders, such as Ephesians 4, cross-body true unity. That's our brand. That means I can be, go by the Holy Spirit, say I can help this kind, whether they're black or white or brown, or I could go that kind, they speak in tongues or not. Doesn't bother me because I know they, that they're wonderful people and that God uses people differently even in this strange day of false and true. And see, you can assess anybody as false. That's easy. I've heard that for 35 years. I never heard it had one to hang around with, but it's been on the back, you know, the back conscience of 
all the different things you read that people have said and they call all these people it's sort of like the famous you know they they always go after the famous person online or back then you know on the slick glossy magazines that are out there that started in the 80s and they were like oh they're false prophets oh they're it's like the favorite thing to do so I stay away from that I shy away from them because I know that they are fault-finding or they maybe have fear or they just haven't or maybe they're not mature or well-bred because the Bible says if you have some find fault with somebody then you are to take time and go make an appointment and sit in front of them and confront them in a loving respectful manner humble manner it says in Galatians 6 1 lest you get tempted in any other similar fault also Matthew eighteen fifteen. For the body of Christ, the Bible token, you must be born again, Bible of Christ. These are the ones that have done this, this religious spirit. It says, get your Bible out. If you have trouble with somebody, you are to go confront them politely one-to-one, male or female. And then you go, if they won't receive you, you go and you talk to them and take somebody with you. In a respectful relationship, abiding James 3.17 form. So I practice that myself. But I don't believe it's ever been practiced upon me. And I know the field of having people fault find from afar. Prophetic fear type things. So I teach against it strongly because it's a real, it's a disclaimer for me. If I'm going to go when I feel like my back, when I've been there seeking the Lord and I get my into a friendly fire fellowship, I just know my Bible says I don't have to stick around and be of that kind on their playground. I want to be like Paul who said, if you find their accusers boasters, deny the power of that of, or they're just in really wrong doctrine, then it says just from turn away, that Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5. I never thought I'd ever use that old scripture for this type of thing for Christians, but you got to do it now. So we're grateful for all the good hero role models, whether you go to church or not, whether you're unsung or well-known. We are thankful. And I do want to honor and thank many of the wonderful believers that did pioneer television and media and worship. Things that I have been protected by when I was at home and younger. And I just thank you for all the good words of the Lord when I was not in Texas, but just in the, you know, growing up in the ministry and had my father died. And then I had some issues that were very tough I had abuse, and I had a lot of spiritual warfare because of the call. Plus, I was a young mother growing up, and those are challenges right there. So we want to relate to people just like, go the extra mile. Do not give up. There's no reason to give up. Just go in and out, in and out, day in, day out, one hour at a time, if that's what you have to do. Remember, we're not always going to be here. Jesus could come at any time. He may not, but you're going to not be here one day maybe very soon from what I sense. And you don't want to regret that you quit before the finish line. You want to pay the full price because one day you'll look back and think, man, I'm so glad I did when I get out of here that I paid the price, Lord. When you stand alone, totally alone before the throne and you meet Jesus and he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. You want to do that. So you keep that thought in front of you and you don't quit you don't you're not moved see what what i like about the different movements god let me go out and visit and surf them i still love them 
I got to pick up some really good hay and I've tried to avoid the stubble from many good Ours is applied faith, not word of faith, but applied faith. It's based on Hebrews 2. In verse 4 it says where the, the writer says, Don't be like the believers who sat there and heard a, heard a good message, but they didn't mingle their faith with the word of encouragement or word of scripture teaching that they heard, and it did them no good. I call it applying. They didn't apply their faith. That means they didn't say, Lord, do I really believe what I'm hearing? Do I really put my faith that I can be healed? Do I really believe that your word is true and is strong enough like Psalm 130, Psalm 103, that you heal all my diseases, that you forgive all my iniquities? That's one of my favorite Psalms. So that's why I shared that one. But because there are times when your brain is so full with uh, doubt and unbelief because the world, the muck and mire, the TV, all the tiredness that it's hard not to. So you have to check yourself. It says, examine yourself to see if you're really in the faith. And even though I pick and choose from different ones, I mention that I honor the word of faith because I would not have made it. I had a great dad. I had some Billy Graham type background, not my dad, but just the general mix of the life I had. But when it came to the really hard, long, really long Pauline prisons, I would God allowed them through TV, really, and me learning how to do that, to study, was to apply my faith to stay strong, to build myself up, and to renew my mind with the Word. It really did come alive. It, you know, the Bible teaches us that God's Word is sharp and active. It's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword able to divide between the soul and the marrow. That's that sensitive and precise. So there's so many good things. And see, what happened is, because I was there, God gave me grace. He sent me out looking prior to the Word of Faith, prior to all the charismatic TV, prior to all these things, with a great healthy image of a Christian and a minister, pastor in my life, my father and the one extended family and mother. So when I got out there and I noticed the doctrines were different and would come along, I'd analyze them like a noble Berean should. And then I pick and hay and I got to know the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit moves, which I certainly love and adore. The different worship, different Bible teachings. And then I heard the words apostle and prophet and around the early night well I'd been in uh, around area-wide ministry since the 80s black and white racial reconciliation repentance of pastors and leaders for revival and it did change the area which where I used to be and it was had a lot of challenges but for a while the drug rate dropped at one point and things got a bit better I don't think it stayed that way people have to keep on doing that be humble Excuse me. But the idea there is such a thing is racism, but racism is a spirit, and we have to teach on that. We have not taught on the spiritual side. Also, it's a relationship factor. If you take away some of the buzzword of, of race, it is hatred, it is mean, it is a spirit, it's violent, it is bigoted, it is, what, it is not James 3.17, it's carnal. But it's partiality. So the Bible says that any wisdom that comes from God has got to be impartial, pure and peaceable, easily entreated, not stony and hard. 
So we got to teach on relationships because I say this, you know, instead of hearing the same thing we've heard on TV and media for years, decades, let's say, well, let's say instead of you see somebody coming down the road that's not your race, that maybe I'm Caucasian and that I'm Western European American, that's my word I want now, because racism on TV has made a white, the word white and Caucasian like a racist, and I'm not. I'm not a bigot. I'm not a racist. Also, almost born-again Christian is almost being like a racist. I'm, we're not. I'm not anyway. So I'm teaching the, the teeny fine tuning points to make sure we can get this out across that not all Christians are this or that or the other. No races or this, that or the other, either or faiths, any faith. So we look back and we think, well, if I were to say, yes, there's a black African-American heritage person a female coming down the road, there she is. I could say, if I were a bigot, if I were raised around bigots, which I wasn't, I could say, oh yeah, it's one of them. But because I didn't have any suspicion, animosity, or hatred, or or disrespect for them, demeaning disrespect growing up, it wasn't in my hard drive. I'd just say, oh look, it's a person, they happen to have brown skin. I know they've been through some issues, maybe in their culture, you know. Some are harder, some are softer. Same with any white color, brown color, anybody. But now I teach, if you see somebody, if you're one of these people that is very shaky and immature and really don't understand how to get along with a person of another color, another gender, another identity or anything, another Baptist or a charismatic, you say, I'm going to see now in terms of my own heart. I see this person walking up the road, they've got yellow hair, or black hair, or dreadlocks, or whatever. And I'm going to say, it's a relationship, instead of it's a blonde person, a black person, a man, a person who's gay, I'm going to say, it's a relationship, a a potential God relationship may be coming down the road. That doesn't mean I'm going to trust anybody that I see, but I'm going to watch them for how they act in James 3.17. Are they acting pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy? And you're watching and you're not accusing them. When you say, oh, look, they're black, you could mean like, just like you're accusing them, like it's a sin, like you're the full of, you're not full of the Holy Ghost, you're full of something else, the devil. All right, so when you look at somebody coming down the road and you say, I see them, I'm going to assess, yes, they are black, yes, they are white, yes, they are a human person, but so am I. They have an earth suit, God put them in, tailor-made just for them, whatever race, to test you and others and test them. That's why I feel everybody's got their earth suit for their mission. Why are we going to target certain people's earth suits because they don't look like us and put them down? That's not right. Then I say, well, when I see this person who doesn't look like me coming down the road, then I'm going to have to, um, then I'm going to check my own heart. What does my heart say inside? I'm going to listen to my heart. When I see the black person, the blonde person, the fat person, the skinny person, the non-churchgoer, the churchgoer, the bishop, the apostle, the homeless. When they come up, what am I going to really do? I'm going to check my heart and see how I act. Am I acting with respect? 
with love, with deep respect? Am I going to be full of bigotry, bias, demeaning, anger, hatred? If you are, then that's your choice. That's your fault. You need to work with God on that. Am I going to assess them or am I going to accuse them? That means I'm better than they are. They're not as good as me. You know, all that stuff. Will fear come up? That's a huge one. Fear of the homeless person. Disrespect. Snob. Pride. All this is pulling you. Will pull. And it's up to you. How you handle you. It is up to you to watch the other and see if they're worth trust. But a lot of people who are not raised... A lot of people now from many other countries and around all kinds of people, old and young, different faiths have been abused, have been persecuted. So they will be suspicious of you, too, and you'll be suspicious of them. So that's why a lot of this fight, plus media and the devil himself, it's based on carnal. Carnal is the flesh. It is not being led by the Holy Spirit, which is discernment, not fear-based. So let's think on these. This is just some pre-training. I'll be glad to teach anybody, have a course for anybody if you want me to teach more, answer specifics on how to do this. This is a huge deal. This is all about relationships. I'm into relationships because I was raised healthy. I was raised by healthy relationships who raised me and my sister. My father was healthy. My mother was healthy. My grandparents were healthy. It was God's mercy by mercy by grace. I didn't earn it. It was just by God's mercy so I could use it now. Bless them. I wasn't raised raw, and I know too many of you all have. You are. You were raised raw, and too many of you Christians, born-again Christians, Bible believers, have something left in your craw, anger, resentment, dirt, need to go to God and get it clean. This is part of the move of God I'm in, the relationship move. Some of you that have been worked so hard, too hard, you have no empathy, no compassion left. You're using formulas. You use size them up, be on my way. And the clickishness of that is just so it projects rejection because you're not projecting respect for everybody equally. So my motto for today is equal opportunity, real respect for the office of every human made in God's image, according to Psalm 139, everybody's made in God's image. All faiths, all colors, all genders, all in-between genders, everybody, all identities, pastors and lay, equal. Within that, people have their belief sets. That is their choice. It is up to them, ultimately, to hear from God, whether you like it or not. So you do your best, but then ultimately, it's you act. And if you project James 3.17, real respect, you're going to win a lot more people with the love of the Lord without saying a thing, without opening your Bible. Because they have been demeaned. These people have been demeaned out here. In the front lines, on the in the human race, are being demeaned. You don't know who's had sexual trafficking or abuse. You do not know. So therefore, you have to walk so carefully, but not fearfully, but at least show them respect and the respect for the office of the human. E O R R, equal opportunity, 
real respect. The reason is, I was never raised around compassion, fatigue, priesthood of Eli, of like Eli and Samuel, first one. I was never raised by jaundiced pastors. I'd never dealt with pastors often where I used to live. When I came down here to the rat race of ministry, the rat race of Christian ministry and leadership, time consumed, overworked. They didn't have to drive 50 minutes to an hour anywhere else. Plus, they have all these appointments back to back during the day, I guess. I, for the first time, ever noticed the size them up, hail fellow, well met, move them on quickly, time check, priesthood. And I went, whoa, what is this? So when I was grieving the loss of my marriage, my only marriage, I thought I would just, you know, normal people who talk to the, get somebody because you're a new person who does counseling or who, you know, say hello. But it was the formula. Oh, it's another <laughs> look like the stereotype of the female, I guess, to these people. But I noticed this was just the busy life they lead. And I thought, where's the, and I would try to deal with people who are not the head leader, of course, because they're such big places here. I would get the same thing, though, from all of them, from elders down to the third level too often. It was like, oh, we've heard this a thousand times. You have unforgiveness. If you were divorced and you're sad, maybe you're grieving like a widow, which I was because I didn't want that divorce. I would he wouldn't counsel or anything. I'd been abused also, but that wasn't that wasn't cool because it took empathy. And I realized I noted this is the flavor of the doctrine or whatever the Eli hey, priesthood. And I thought of Jesus. Jesus had compassion. He had empathy because he wept. John 10, I believe, it says Jesus wept. My father used to teach. That's the shortest verse in the Bible. He wept because he had empathy. He wept with those who wept. And we're supposed to, as Christians, weep with those who weep, aren't we? Mourn with those who mourn. I couldn't find anybody. All I could find was being stereotyped. This is one more of the many thousands of divorced people. It's probably her fault. They were compassion fatigued, and I was not, it was just shocking because it was such a spiritual battle. It was a spiritual thing, like you're accused. And then if you tell people, this is the worst part I found out, modern day, busy, super busy, maybe book of Ephesians, letter to the church of Ephesus. That's why we're not supposed to get, lose our first love of Jesus. Revelation 2 verses 1 through 7. Maybe they got formula driven. The, I called, I wrote an article at one time, the formula driven church. Too few real people. Too few people to give you the time of day. And it was like, whoa, what is this I'm seeing on the lay of the land? And I remember thinking, where is empathy? Where is compassion? And this was like many attempts to visit out in the area. And I thought of weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. So if you tell somebody, confide that you're you're in pain, you're grieving, because you feel like your arms cut off. My children were grown, you know, and all you're sad that they don't have two parents and that their memories are ruined. And I didn't want that. I never planned on it, counted on it ever. Thirty-two years, and then you find people look down on you that you are accused for being weak, an emotional overly emotional, which I'm not overly emotional, and 
because you're sad because you have unforgiveness. Everybody was like the big answer. Let's get them off our back. Just accuse them back of unforgiveness. Hate to say it. That's how it was. I think it is. That's why I pulled out. God pulled me out from charismatica. But you know what? There are many people when you get away from that, which is like 2012. When you just got the real people and you're just at the barista fellowships and you're just around, there's so many good Christians. There's so many good people, whether they're not Christian or not. They're just good people. Some of them are very well-intentioned and they're so responsible. So I thought, wow, what's the difference between fast-paced misogyny in ministry working at ministry, overachieving business, and the relationship ministry that my father grew me up in, and that a lot of people have still in the denominational area. When I went over last year to the Denton area, (laughs) I will make it short, but the only people that, the only sign of real human compassion for a fellow person was the Methodist Church. I'd never dealt with John Wesley's descendants. They're amazing because they wanted community, not success. They were in com- into community, helping their fellow person. They helped the homeless. They helped people in trouble. They were trying to their best to be diverse, and they were. They were respectful to all people, all races, all cultures. And I was shocked. They didn't act like a standoffish because I was a female. They didn't want to be over me. They weren't trying to achieve the ministry. It was like, I took off for like three months. It was just, it is a gift. I want to go back. Hope to get to go back. Heard some really good messages and good music. They have different styles of music from the very traditional, which I was brought in for a while, but I'm more non-traditional. But they have both. They have all the flavors. So it's so cool. But I wanted to honor the different people who are just unsung. And when I tried with... The tongue talkers, I won't even go there. All I could say that I met the the village, the peaceful, well-read, oh, so well-read, could quote every famous intercessor, every famous prophet, every, you know, from 30 years, but that that same village is asleep and no empathy, no kindness. Compassion-fatigued priesthood is just should be outlawed it's like it's got its own you can go to a big place one that's got 50 one that's got 12,000 and you can find the religious legalistic system their own everybody's got their system and ministry and I was grateful to find that the denominationals and the Methodist church was not as it was not it was like a relationship I will you know if I choose when I look at crossbody unity, which is my style, Book of Ephesians 4, it was a reminder how I can grow and I need to always visit with the relatives. I call them the relatives, the other kind of ministers in the body of Christ around our nation, as the Lord shows me to and gives me time to do it. I've always done it. I don't need to go now. I've been around a lot. But I'm going to say that that's why I advise, you know, the first church wasn't everybody stick with the Baptist, everyone stick with the Catholic, everyone stick with the non-denominational or our style no more. It was one body, one community, the Christian body of Christ, which is, I believe that's the way it is. So therefore, nobody would finger point and say, oh, look, I saw you, you're a charismatic and you're over there visiting with the 
with the, you know, Baptists, oh my, you're not with the one true faith, or vice versa. I saw you hanging out with the Charismatics and the Holy Spirit crowd, and you're a Baptist or a Catholic, oh boy, you know, shame on you. That's accusing. See, that's accusing people, God's people. Instead, it was more, it was like everybody was hungry for God. They were praying and fasting, the whole church, you know, the leaders. And they were on fire so that they met at all these different houses, which, because they didn't have time, they hadn't grown into big churches. Now we've had time, but now it's back to the plain old world. There's nothing exciting, you know, nothing too much different most places. So now for you can go, if you look at around, like, say, one area, one, what's the Lord doing? This is how I think. In the Christian sense, what is God through the different kinds when I go am sent to visit? So I'll learn God, you know, shows himself that way, his facet that way, and he shows another facet that way, which I've learned through the years. I can see through traditional to what the Lord is really saying. I can see through swinging from here something good from the Lord, hopefully most every time, without accusing. So then you think collectively, what is, you put puzzle pieces together, what has God said? And then you hear from yourself, for yourself, what God is saying to you. And he has to reveal if that's true or not, of course. But I'm thinking, how come, and this is how I'm telling you how I do. Even if the Lord has called me to like chief apostle type ministry of this ministry, with I do in all five houses, whether I'm in a house or in a big building or in a barn, The Lord is my shepherd first in my first love relationship, and he's not a religious stickler. And he may say, Tevo, you've worked too hard in your own work. I want you to go fellowship with some of the ones that teach the Bible, this one, that one, or maybe more worship. Right now he's doing that with a couple of people I know that I call these people friends. Because it's like, why aren't we on the same team? So this is my theology. My apostolic theology, we better get back to the first church. We've grown too sophisticated and too proud of ourselves. And we're so well-meaning, but we're really missing it. Because back, even before I came to tech, I think it's less out here, I hope. I wasn't raised in in my father's house. The Christian family. There was no accusation of people who went to more than one church. There was no sin. I never heard of anyone being accused by any of my relatives of the sin of church hopping. And that was huge in the body of Christ in America, the grassroots. I didn't know there it was a sin. It's not to me because people come from all walks of backgrounds. You got to just say, well, what does that mean? It says they went from house to house. Nobody knew, and they still don't. Nobody knew that there's no such thing as covering in the New Testament. There's no such thing as the command, you've got to be under somebody famous, you've got to be in a local church, you've got to be under so-and-so, brother so-and-so, because they haven't read their Bible. I don't see Jesus when he was alive in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John instituting that in his ministry or private life. Plus, he, he respected his, all the people as equal, including his mother. I don't see the ministries being set up over everybody. They were servant leaders. Paul writes with lowercase letter for the word apostle, pastor, teacher, evangelist, and pastor. 
some are more experienced in call, call anointing, yes, but the shepherds were with the sheep, not above or elevated. That, to me, elevating the people too far above the, uh, the shepherds above the sheep was the Gnostic doctrine called the Nicolaitans. Nike means to control, laos the people, which God hates in the book of Revelation, letters to the churches, two and three. So then I was not array around it till the Lord told me to surf the body, and then all the charismatic moves, all the preacher moves and TV moves come in, and a lot of this traveled up from the south, came in through these winds of doctrine. So then you are unsuspecting because these people are really trying to do what's right, most of them, and they really are not sinning in the fact that they are committing adultery or anything. They're just... <sighs> let their title go to their head. So I looked at that through the years, and that is Roman patricianism, doctrine of the Nicolaitans that I'm submitting to you, potentially. Showbiz, passed down winds of doctrine, and then people who were never raised. I think a lot of the people were raised really maybe pitiful and poor, and now that they got the title and the gift and the call, now it's gone to their head, so swelled head as well. But I wasn't ready, you know, therefore, I guess God saved me because I wasn't in that. Now I can tell if it's there, very big. So I'm teaching doctrine because people can have really great, healthy doctrine, true doctrine mixed in with this other subculture of back under the law, legalism, overseer shepherding, which I call generally Western European Levitical patriarchism or Western European Levitical matriarchism, subservient to the patriarch. So this is why we're spending our time, because legalism puts people backwards under the law without freedom to grow up. Their consciences are easily hurt. They cannot think for themselves because they're scared of the disapproval of the pastor, apostle, the shepherd. And it makes people man-please, human-please, to get ahead, to be approved, and to get mama's approval, daddy's approval, whether it's a female leader or not. So we're not over here. We're not Levitical patriarchs or matriarchs. We are not the queen of the ministry. We are servant leaders. But I had to get pretty strong out here in Texas. I had to get tougher because I wasn't tough enough when I first got here. You have to have your drill sergeant to pull it out, even though you don't want to, because they're that bad. They're that thick, that caustic that determined and that dysfunctional that they are so dull of discernment that a sweet, polite James 3.17 doesn't even touch their fog in their little brains, in their radar. So therefore, if, if they're bigots, if they're cowboys, you know, not all cowboys are like this. Please forgive me. Shouldn't have said that. But if they are good old persons, good old boys raised by mama on a pedestal, used Women all their life use females, fornicate a lot. That group is extra tough for me. It's been extra hard. So therefore, because I wasn't raised or married to anybody like that. I was never around anybody like that. Pretty low key. Until I realized these are, you know, the devil. And I got to just rise up and human up and be strong enough. So I am. I finally, I think Denton was my, you do not believe how bad it could have been, but how good God is and so victorious. It really set me free with all the foul stuff that went on 
to try to attack me and take me down hurt me really badly that the Lord like prophet Elijah was there on the case with every Jezebel spirit and when I say Jezebel spirit I don't call anybody this is a male two males or more but the issue is that God has given me grace and I can at least share things that maybe will help you somewhere because we're on the tip of, this is a tip of an iceberg of teaching. This is a tip of an iceberg on relationship theology. There is a website, Abiding Relationship Theology, Abiding in James 3.17 Theology. There is a relationship theology that is not me, but this one is, I, I never read their stuff, so I wouldn't take it. But I have the, um, you know, my, the website to, to the domains you can look up for abiding relationship theology is just plain old relationship theology.org or .com from Tavo DRC Creative Leadership. So the idea if you can take some things that are pertinent to your children, your females, your males, your pastors, and get a just roll with relationships, having everyone inspect their theology, but their lives in the relationship theology of Jesus. How did he act and react under pressure, even big pressure, in their home, in ministry? The other part would be, how did Jesus treat everybody, whether they were saint or sinner, confused or valid minister or a fallen woman or his mom? How did he treat them in his relationships in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when he was alive? We need to get that out. So we can find no misogyny, anti-woman. We can find no back under the law, woman thou art bound. We don't find that with Jesus. We don't find big I, little you ministry. Paul comes out against that in 1 Corinthians 1 and 3. Jesus wasn't like that. He didn't have that either. So servant leadership has got to be brought back to the front table and, uh, and then served out without religious spirits. So we have different points that we just share here and there, but you can get something racism, assessing, not accusing, taking a stand against racism. Another thing we found terribly, terribly missing was the balance of who Jesus really was, how he acted. And the consensus sounds like everybody thinks he's he was only sweet baby Jesus. Oh, you want to confront me? Like the Bible says in Matthew 18 and 6 and Galatians 6 1. No, no, you're not being sweet like baby Jesus. You're accusing me. You're condemning because they they're that bad. It's that bad. And this is TV media affected, not the top great people. No, no, no. This is the people that have gleaned the message, used it for their own sake and are now twisting and perverting the good things using it to get what they want, to use people. Licentiousness, lasciviousness, what is wrong with the word? Those are big L words, but they're not love. If somebody says, I, wanna, I won't give your stuff back, a fellow minister, and you confront them and they say, oh no, you're not, you know, hey, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're not acting sweet like baby Jesus, which is literally what happened to me more than once, two, three times out here. I went, wow, what is in their doctrine? What in the world? Entitled, but off. And so you think, what is 
the matter with self-justifying. I had written adventures in blame shifting dot wordpress.com as our, you know, after the trial of so many. And I said, the just shall live by faith, which is a Bible quote, while the self-justifying live by blame shifting. That means twisting God's word to get what you want. And what that is, let's say they take your stuff, your piano, which happened. All right, so you give it in a a pastor-minister group at the time, not for many years now. It's been about eight, nine years in a different part of where I live. But I was learning. (laughs) So I just loaned it out, and I said, give it back, or else just give me a tax receipt. So when that time happened, nobody gave it back, and nobody gave me the tax receipt. So I called up, and then they avoided and hid So the Bible says if they avoid and hide, then take somebody with you. So I called their oversight and contacted them, and that's when I found out. Good old boys existed. But I also, and I was the newbie, the alien, the stranger, angels unaware, newly divorced, grieving widow at the same time, peer. Just for the record. So I'm watching prophetically how I'm seeing, you know, all this. So they said, I talked to the people, will you go? And they said, no, just forgive him. Like, we're in a hurry. Get you off my back. You're not acting sweet like baby Jesus. So I realized this is a huge deal, as they would say, huge deal. (laughs) So I'm correcting it. So what I found was if all these are relationship, all this is built up to form relationship theology. How did they act when I loaned it? They were fine when I, in other words, licentious scenes. I'm the righteousness of God. I refuse to be confronted. I refuse to be held accountable. That's in a relationship, sin against myself. Their peer doesn't have to be me, a female, a pastor, fellow pastor, a member of the organization, which I wasn't a member, but I. They invited me on letterhead stationaries, tested it out. The second. The second in command, when I told them about it, brushing me off and you're you know, accusing me of not being sweet for wanting my stuff back, that you're mean. All this is certainly not what the head founder would ever want represented, represented. So I was trying to really help them preserve the honor and the integrity of the top person. However, they were, you know, I was still going through my process, my trial. And I'd never fought the law. I never fought that you had to get, you know, I had lawyer for divorce. I didn't know all that stuff. So it was very painful and just a lot of long suffering. But I realized that a lot of people were raised really raw, maybe now more than ever in this whole history. And they're out there and now they're using Jesus's name, quoting the Bible, saying they're friend of the big minister at the top, male or female, could be black or white, but these were not. They were all my color. So the issue is we pull out, what does it say? From such turn away, which we did. But do we care? We forgive them. But I care for the reputation of Jesus. If this goes on, I have a practice that if it happened, God shows me something once or twice, I think, well, it's them or me. If I find this, three to 15 to 20 times, I'll teach on it. So I found it more than three, two, three, four, five, five times. And I thought this is, and also the pastor who had told me about the prophet in the cave, he had told me this. He says, 
if you if you what was that I was going to say it was a good quote but the idea is that oh yeah Nielsen rating because he helped me with my TV program back there he's an editor for me and he mentored me and he said Nielsen ratings back in the early 2000s he said they have a sign that if one person writes it stands for 40 people who didn't write so if one person complains they'll take it 40 would thought the same thing if one person praises they they take it that 40 more didn't write in they'll take it and that's how they keep on renewing their shows so when these happened i remembered that thankfully and i thought these people are trying to self-preserve itself ish not relationship not fear of the lord and i thought if i see it one time i saw it like let's say three times that means a hundred and two Three times 40 is 120 more people were doing it. And the Lord would say to me, he said it many times, he said, don't take this personally, take it prophetically. I'm showing you what I see. And I thought, oh, okay. So I took it as best I could. I kept, you know, handling it with the Lord and moved on. So the idea down in the deep south, the deep south occult Southwest, the deep south, whatever this was, caustic. Too many places in the system. These are usually got their system. Each one has a mostly about my system, me, myself, and my little group, whether it's under a hundred or twelve thousand, you know. So the issue is not all people are like this, but this is my test. So I got my. I earned two more PhDs. I had already gotten an honorary degree, sacred music doctorate in 2004, but these are my PhDs out here. I got three more. One was PhD, Pretty Hard Days. The second one was PhD again, Piled High and Deep. And the last one was my DFW degree, which is Dallas Finest and its Worst. So I'm out here with Finding the Finest. I'm finding a family now. I know how to find, but it took me years to understand how to get up off the caustic floor and, you know, to really bounce back and to not be moved by it. And then, man, and then you go to try to get where worship is and you're greeted by the Jezebel spires. Enthroning Jezebel, that means the people are so hyper about seeing a Jezebel or somebody looks that they think looks like one that they back off, they're unfriendly, and they send their witch watchers over you. That's my other pet peeve. The only other pet peeve amongst God's people that you can't even get a break to go worship. That's why I wrote Jesus sitting on the back of the third row. He came in, a itinerant minister, tired, just wanted to hear God, hungry for the Lord. He sits back there unannounced, and the witch watchers go over and check him out. They had never seen anybody with his anointing. See, that's another lesson I learned to teach. you got to tell your pastors, you got to tell your preachers and your people that there are people that have different schools of God's anointing. He's got one anointing, but he can't have... Different people have different facets of it, different fields. Different people have different trials. Different have people, person, you know, look different. So you have to be able to handle and and be able to stand without being offensive and rejecting and cruel and accusative somebody that doesn't have your anointing that maybe has more power than you. I think that's really what I found. I'm, I came from strong women, a lot of strong servant leader women. So we don't think of being strong because the men were always stronger. The women always wore the pants in the family. Hey, they made us feel like the weaker vessel because they were that strong, emotionally strong. 
So you come down here where the law is, and they're probably tired, but they also are more pitiful because they're not vibrant. They don't have, they're more accuser prone because that's how they keep control with the law, making everybody afraid to disobey, getting out of the prophet or the pastor or the priest's permission, you know, getting the bad vibe from them because not relationship mature healthy where they know how to work things out problem solved together so they use the rules the ironclad rules and they train the people to jump through them which i don't so we just have had a lot to analyze and now that i uh finished up to 2000 this to right now i've never felt so good more happy more joyful in my life more thankful to God and more grateful to be alive and out from under any religious tyranny in the system and bigotry from fellow Christians. I cannot tell you. It's so bad. That's why I teach. After being out here, the deep south, I never had chauvinism, accuser chauvinism from men in ministry. I never had it. And they weren't black, listen, or brown. I never had where I had to stand up this strong and say my doctrine just to make sure people know I'm not uh, condemning them, but it's the truth. They're in, they're back into the law. So I thought, you know what? God is so good. I made my mind up to always respect everybody and act in James three seventeen. But I don't have to go around it where I'm going to be where they're easily spooked, accusing, dishonest. You know what I mean? And and this is just the Caucasians. Listen, this is just the Caucasians. I'm not black, so I'm going to let the black people have their own prophet sent through. We love you, respect you. I used to be with a lot more black people than out. I guess the country white in the system has been my almost nemesis, the Alexander Coppersmith, because they're full of shepherding and um, what do you call that? Accusation. If you don't look like them, appear like them, and see, I do, and I got to go. I do have Isaiah 11 too, the spirit of might and power on me because I've needed it. I'm not tough. But I'm pure-hearted, but I'm not a wuss. And I want to thank all you really good, healthy Christians that are not full of hate speech, that are not full of bigotry and bias. I want to thank you and honor you that if you're not back under the law. God loves you. He needs you right now. And go teach on all such a thing, but do it in the James 3.17 style, black and white. God bless you. He loves you. You know, Paul wasn't owned by anybody. That's why we wanted to be Galatians 1. Went into like Paul as well. He wasn't owned by anybody. He couldn't, you know, they couldn't say, Paul, don't you dare say that truth. We want you to be back under the law in our prison with us. But anyway, God bless you. Have a good one. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Bye bye.